Well, we find ourselves today in John chapter 17, and we are going to be reading one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I know it's kind of weird to have a favorite because it's all great, but this one is so meaningful to me, and I think you'll see why when we get to it in John chapter 17, where we find ourselves right now, Jesus just spent some time encouraging his disciples because he knows he's going to be going And though he does know he's going to be coming back, and he knows that he's going to be sending the Spirit, so they're not going to be alone, they don't fully understand what's going on. And so he is trying to encourage them in chapters 15 and 16. And where that happened, we actually don't exactly know. We know that he was in the upper room with the disciples when he washed their feet and when Judas um, finally made the decision to betray him, you know, Satan enters him and he, he goes And then Jesus says, arise, let's go from here. So they leave the upper room. Jesus does his encouraging and what he's about to do here in John 17. But we don't know where he is. We know that in, I think it's right at the beginning of 18. Yeah, so in 18, um, he goes across the Kidron Valley or the, the river Kidron, which leads him towards the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives, which is where Judas is going to come and betray him. But he's somewhere in between those two places right now, which is part of that is inside the walls of Jerusalem. Part of that is just outside the walls of Jerusalem. So we don't know if he's walking as he's saying this or if he's stopped inside the city or he stopped outside the city. We don't really know. But he's kind of in an in-between spot. And there really is a sense of transition that's happening right now. Jesus is going from his ministry to his disciples and to the world, sharing the news and now preparing to give his life and enter this new phase. And so he's putting a cap in a way and preparing his disciples for that transition. So the first thing he did in 15 and 16, which we talked about yesterday, was talk with them about what was going to happen and try to help them understand that it was going to be okay, even though they may not seen it that way. Now in verse 17, he's going to do something incredible, something we don't actually get to see him do a lot of in scripture. And that's pray, pray out loud, speak to his father at length. In fact, I believe this is the longest prayer that we have from Jesus in the entire scripture. And he is going to pray for himself. He's going to pray for the disciples that are there with him, and he's going to pray for us. It's unbelievable. All right, so let's get into John chapter 17. All right, of course, we will start with verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, all that he had just said. We talked about it yesterday. Lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, I do think it's interesting. Jesus did not bow his head to pray. As we are always told, now let's bow our heads to pray. Jesus lifted his eyes up to heaven and prayed, which I actually think is a very powerful way to pray, even for us. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. And now, glorify your son. It seems like we could, that could be a little bit of, for us, I guess, a, a little bit of a toss away phrase. Glorify your son. It sounds like something, just something you would say. Uh, but Jesus is saying something really important here, and he's going to reiterate it a few times as he prays for himself. You see, 
Jesus is eternal. He did not begin existing when he was born as a human being. He was at creation. He was before creation. And in eternity, he has held the glory glory that God has. And so Jesus, when he came to earth, humbled himself, set that glory aside and humbled himself to come to earth to take on the form of a man being fully man and fully God at the same time. Yet he did not be, he did not hold the glory that he had always held before. He humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, as Paul tells us. And so now he's saying, I'm getting ready to take that back up, which I think is incredible. I'm about to put that coat back on, man. And I'm sure Jesus was excited for that. Probably not, and we know, not excited for what he had to go through in order to put that back on, but he knew that it was going to happen. So when he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. He means, put me back. Here we go. We're about to go through with it, and I'm going to reestablish the position that I have always held. It's unbelievable. And that's going to be important. Keep that in mind and remember that when we get down just a little bit later. All right. As you have, this is verse two, as you have given him authority over all flesh, and Jesus is talking about himself in the third person here, so let's not get confused. He jumps, in, in fact, in this prayer, he jumps back and forth between himself in the first person and the third person, which I think is really interesting. As you have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. We've talked about that dynamic, how God, when we open ourselves up to him and believe the good news, God gives us to Jesus and Jesus holds us. That's what he's saying, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, three, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, he obviously hasn't finished the work of the cross yet, but he has finished the work of sharing the gospel and sharing the truth and letting all men know that you must believe in Jesus for eternal life. You must believe in him. I finished the work which you've given me to do. Now, verse five. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see it? He's saying, restore me now because of what I have done, because of what I am about to do, restore me now to the glory that I have always had. It's incredible. Jesus praying for himself. And I think you can actually, you can get a little bit of the sense of Jesus' humanity in this, in this. There's a bit of relief that I have given up my glory and I've gone through everything. And I know that last hardest thing is, is in front of me, but it's about to be done. And Jesus is excited for that. I think not only for himself, but for everyone who's around him as well, for that work to be accomplished and finished. Then he turns his attention. He's prayed for himself. Then he turns his attention to his disciples, specifically the ones that he chose, the closest to him. They are going to have a huge task in front of them. And so Jesus prays for them. Verse six. I've manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. 
and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you've given me are from you. For I have given them to the the words which you've given me, and they have received them, and and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is the most important thing for them to know. This is the whole reason that John writes the gospel, isn't it? That we may know that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we might have life in his name. Jesus said, that was my job with them. I've accomplished that job with them, my disciples. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world. Now, he's speaking presently, but he's speaking future at the same time because he knows it's upon them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. This is, this is really important, really important. Jesus is praying not only for them as individuals, but for the integrity of the truth. Jesus is saying, I have given them the truth, and they believed. They believed that I was your son. They believed that I came to save. They believe. Now, empower them and help them to remain one so that that message can be consistent and effective and can go out to the entire world. Jesus is concerned for them and he's concerned for the integrity and the purity of the truth. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That's Judas, of course. But that had to happen, which is what he says, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He knows that's what the truth, that's what the good news does. We'll fill them with joy. Verse 14. I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. We talked about this yesterday. Jesus said, don't be surprised if they hate you. They hated me. (laughs) And if they hate me and you're anything like me, they're going to hate you too. And the reality is that even for us as Christians today, there are many people that hate us. There are many people that despise us. There are many people that at least don't understand us or confused by us or disagree with us. And that's not surprising because if Jesus were here and we look anything like he would look if he was here, then they would do the same thing to him. So it's okay, but Jesus knows that that is going to create major issues for them. The world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And. You know, maybe in a way the merciful thing to do would have been to just take them out of the world. (laughs) 
so they wouldn't have to face the kind of persecution that all of them were going to go and face. Because to, to, as Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. <laughs> to live means I'm serving Christ. To live means that I'm advancing the gospel. To live means I get to share the good news. But where I really want to be is there. <laughs> where I really want to be is with the Father. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't take them out of here. And I'm not asking for that because they've got work to do. I'm asking that you protect them from the evil one. He loves them. I mean, you don't spend three years pouring your life and pouring your heart and soul into someone to pass the torch to them of the most important mission in the history of the world and not love them with the deepest love you can imagine. And that's exactly what Jesus feels for them. And so even though he knows they're going to be okay in a spiritual sense, and he knows they're going to face very difficult circumstances, and, and he cares for them. And because he cares for them, he prays for them. I think that's a powerful point. That when you care for someone, you pray for them. Because there are a lot of things when you care for someone you can do to take care of them. And there's a lot of things you can't do. And we have to trust God with the people that we love. And Jesus knows that he is trusting, and he can trust, of course, but he's trusting the Father and he's trusting the Spirit with these people that he's poured his life into. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. That was verse 18. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, purify myself, make myself holy, that they also may be sanctified by the truth, that they may be purified, they may be made holy. It's powerful, powerful what Jesus prays for them. But then look what he does next, right? This is, this is where, to me, for me, the reason this is one of my favorite verses is because I believe this is one of the places in Scripture where Jesus is talking directly to me. Maybe the most direct place in Scripture where Jesus is talking directly to and about me today and you today. And so we need to pay very close attention to what Jesus says in the next verses. You ready? Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So now he's praying not just for the people around him, his, his disciples that he, that he chose. Now he's praying for every single person who believes because of what they say. Well, who is that? That's me. That's you. Jesus is praying for us right here. Jesus prayed for John that he would remain one, that he would be sanctified by the truth, that he would be led by the Spirit. And what was John led to do? Write a gospel. <laughs> a gospel that is true and led by the Spirit and without error. And I've read this gospel. And because I've read this gospel and because I've read other gospels and because people have taught and spoken and because of what John said and what Matthew said and what Peter said, because of what all of these people said that were so close to Jesus, I believed. I believed. And so when Jesus says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, he's talking about me. 
and he's talking about you. So what in the world is Jesus going to pray for with regard to us? This is big. We got to listen, right? All right. Here it is. Verse 21. That they all may be one. That they may all be one. United in heart and mind and belief. This is not just about people, this is not about people like getting along. You know, this is not about uh, uh, necessarily about like, you know, like church membership meetings where people get, where people argue about the color of the carpet, which you think, you know, happens. Like we laugh about that, but that's a real thing. I actually heard a story about a church here in town they had an argument at a, like a deacon's meeting or, you know, a church business meeting. The cops got called out to it. That's not, the, that's not the kind of unity that he's talking about here. Although I would say that kind of unity is vitally important within the church. Um, it's hard to have that kind of unity when you have people. So, you know, there's no perfect church. But he says he wants us to be one. What does he mean by that? Well, if we look at the broad scope of everything that Jesus has been saying over the last couple of chapters and now even in this prayer, everything he's been talking about has been centered on the importance of the message of Jesus and salvation going forth in the proper way. So when Jesus says that I want them, my prayer is that they will be one, what I believe he means is that we are to be one in belief. We are to be focused on what is true, that we are to be sharing the pure and simple gospel, the good news, that salvation and restoration to God comes only through Jesus Christ. Belief in him, trusting him for salvation because he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. And so just like John wants us to believe it, we need to believe it and we need to share that. And that's why I think he says what he says next. Uh, let's see, where are we? That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, one in us. Jesus introduced this idea in the last chapter. First time he ever talked about being in us. He talked about being in the Father and the Father being in him. Now he's talking about being in us. What does he what does he mean by that? It's not the I when I was a kid I asked Jesus into my heart. We talked about that in a pre- previous video. That's not actually how it works. But I believe what he's talking about given what he's already said just in the last couple of chapters is very simple. He knows that uh after he dies and he rises again that God is going to send the spirit And the Spirit is going to live within us as believers. And any of you that are believers, the Spirit lives within you. Uh, Another place in Scripture, we're called a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence resides within us through the Spirit. So when Jesus says, "Uh, You, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, it means that the this spirit, he is present within us. And so God is in us. 
Christ is in us, but it is the Spirit in us. It's not God becoming the Spirit. It's not Jesus becoming the Spirit. They are three and they are distinct. But the Spirit is in us, so we are in God and God is in, in, in us. I hope that makes sense. If that doesn't make sense, put a comment on there. I'll be watching this video with you and I'll try to explain it a little better. But it can be confusing, but that's what it means. The Spirit is within us. And if the Spirit is within us, and He is, and we listen to Him, and we trust Him to guide us into the truth, into understanding of what the gospel is, then the world, when we present that in an accurate way, the world can believe that God sent Jesus. So it's very important for us, what Jesus' prayer is, is that we will be united in our belief, and we will be sharing our belief through the power and the direction of the Spirit, so that the world can then believe. Jesus is praying, in a sense, spiritually, generationally, right here. That this is, that as we believe, we will be one in what we believe, the integrity of the truth and the integrity of the gospel will be maintained, so that as it's shared with the world, the world can actually believe in who Jesus is. And that has proven, frankly, to be a challenge because there are a lot of other influences that come in to try to distract us from the truth or to distort the truth. And when the truth gets distorted or the truth gets perverted, then it creates uh, an unclear understanding of God. And what did Jesus say just a bit ago to, about his disciples? He said, and this is eternal life, that they would know God. So if we don't understand God properly, or if people don't understand the gospel accurately, they don't know God accurately, and they're missing out on life that they could have. So it's very important that we study and listen to the Spirit and make sure we understand what the good news is so that we can accurately share and explain that to other people so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent by God. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. What is that? The glory that was, that's weird. That's weird a little bit, isn't it? So Jesus said, the glory that you've given to me, I have given to them. What does that mean? The glory that you have given to me, Father, I have given to them. You know, I can't say with 100% certainty that I know what that means, but I have a very, very strong suspicion. <laughs> Given the context and everything we've talked about, to me, I believe he is talking specifically about the Spirit here. That God gave him, that the Spirit was present with Jesus to help guide him, was, was present with Jesus to help him as he shared what the Father was saying. The Spirit was there to help him and empower Jesus. And the same Spirit that was given to Jesus, he has given to us. All right, so that to me, I believe that's what it's saying there. The glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. It's through the Spirit that we can be one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. I think this is, this is, 
This is a window. Verse 24 is a window into Jesus' heart. For the people who have followed him and chosen him, for us as we have chosen and followed him. Because everything that we're talking about, all of the belief that we are discussing is done by faith. Okay, even before Jesus showed up, before Jesus showed up, people were counted righteous by their faith, their, their belief in what was coming. When Jesus was there, they put their belief and their faith in what they saw and what they heard from Jesus. But they did not see him in his spiritual condition, a spiritual state. And so they were acting out of faith. Now they had a lot of evidence in front of them, but they're still acting out of faith. And even today, we're reading the words that they wrote. We're looking at evidence that exists for us. And when we make a belief statement, it's a statement of faith. We have not seen Jesus in his glory. We have not been to where he is. We have not seen him in his spiritual form. And because of that, it's all based on faith. And so what I'm reading here, what I see here, when he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory, which you have given to me for you loved me from the foundation of the world. I believe I just see Jesus saying, oh, Father, I just can't wait until they actually get to see that it's true. I can't wait until they get to see the proof and the evidence and to know, to know, to know, to know, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am who I say I am. And they get to see me in all of my glory. The, the, the disciples who were with Jesus, they, they knew him in his human form and saw him do miraculous things and heard him say incredible things, but they had not seen Jesus the way he has always existed. So Jesus saying, Father, I pray that they are going to one day, and he knows they will, but I pray one day they're going to get to see. They're going to get to see the payoff and how incredible this thing is. And for me, I think, man, what a day that's going to be for you and for me when we get to see Jesus as he has always been, the power and the glory and the majesty. It's going to be unbelievable. And Jesus is pointing that out here. And man, he can't wait. I can't wait. Hope you can't wait. Verse 25, a righteous father. The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Well, sorry for the awkward transition here, but... Um... I recorded the video, and I got to tell you, the end of that message was actually, uh, it was nearly perfect. So, um, but then I suppose to humble me, I got home and realized that the batteries in the audio recorder died <laughs> right about where I just stopped the video. So, uh, rather than going all the way back in at... 10 o'clock at night to record the very last five minutes or so, I decided I would just record it here in my office at home. So, um, yeah, so we, we just left off. We just finished reading the scripture and, uh, I'll just reread verse 26 again, Jesus, uh, praying 
And he says, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And what a beautiful way for him to cap that prayer, that prayer for us and for his disciples and for us to know that we have a tremendous task in front of us. You know, it is up to us that the world would believe that God sent Jesus. And it's up to us to preserve the integrity of the truth and the integrity of the message. And so that's a big deal. So specifically, I would encourage you to reread verses 20 through 23 specifically. That's like the section that is for us specifically. And so I would encourage you to read it. Maybe read it a few times today just to remember how important it is that we hold in such high regard the truth, the good news that we get to carry and that we get to share with others. And so I want to encourage you to think about that today and your responsibility to take that message and to share it as well, because it's only when we're united in that that the world will actually believe that God sent Jesus. And we know that's the truth, and it's the best thing that we could possibly say to someone. And when we do that, Jesus' prayer for us is that we will get to experience the same kind of love with God that even Jesus had with him, which is, that's pretty incredible. All right, so let me pray for us today as we finish our time. Father, I come to you and thank you for your love for us. Jesus, how much you care for us. And the fact that you know that, that you've given us this tremendous mission, but you've also not left us alone to do it. That you've given us the power of the Spirit and that we can rely on you to know what to say and who to say it to, how to live out this in a way that's attractive to people and compelling. And as we think forward to your crucifixion, which we're going to talk about in our video tomorrow, and your resurrection in two days, we are so thankful that you came and did that for us. That even as you poured out your heart and as you were thinking about the suffering that was coming for you, your thoughts, your prayer was for us. And so we thank you that you have served us in that way. And we want to serve you in return by taking the truth that you said and the offer that you made and sharing that with hope and with joy and with accuracy as we intentionally take up this mission that you've given to us. And we express our unity together in your name. Amen.